LLC. And I'm so glad that uh, during this pandemic, uh, during what it is that we're going through at this moment, we can still gather uh, in this way uh, virtually. So know that I miss you guys. I know that I long to see you guys again, that uh, this is temporary. This isn't forever as the phases are moving forward as, as we're uh, lifting um, uh, the, some of the precautions and we're moving forward. Continue praying. I keep praying that God will heal the land. Uh, God will continue to strengthen the workers, uh, both um, on the front lines and, and everywhere else and protect them as we move ahead as a people, uh, move ahead as, as a city. Uh, and yeah, I'm excited for what's to come. Uh, just know that the, the leadership here at LLC, we're planning and looking forward and we're just trying to see what's best in terms of meeting together again uh, and seeing you guys uh, face to face. Uh, if you're joining in uh, for the first time this morning, we're in a series called uh, Miracles and uh, When God Makes a Way. And we've been learning about uh, how when the people of God, when people are with their backs pressed up against the wall, how God makes a way. God shows up in miraculous ways, ways that you do not uh, foresee, ways that you can't uh, imagine. We've gone through the scene like uh, last week, uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being in the fire. Uh, we've gone through the uh, Exodus uh, in terms of the splitting of the sea. Uh, we've, we talked about uh, Jonah as well, uh, being in the belly of the big fish and uh, using his five-word sermon and, and using his inadequacies uh, to change and, and to save a nation. And, and today we're continuing on in the series and we're back in the book of Exodus. Uh, we're, we're back in a part of Exodus, uh, chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, you can flip uh, to that already. Uh, but a part where God provides manna and he feeds his people, a place where uh, he is hungry, uh, where the people of God are, are hungry and God ultimately uh, provides uh, for them. Uh, if you think about your life, has there been a time where there's been a lot of complaining, a lot of grumbling, a place where you're a time when you're really discontent. And when I think about my life, uh, places where I'm often um, grumbling and complaining is usually tied to me being hangry. It's usually tied to me being hungry and waiting for food. And I think one of the longest restaurants I've ever waited for, I have a friend, uh, she's a bit of a foodie and she was coming back into town and she wanted to try this new restaurant. This was quite a few years ago. And I'm not going to name the restaurant, but it was quite a few years ago and the, the restaurant was pretty good. But we went there. You can't make, it was one of those restaurants where you can't make a reservation. You just got to show up, put your name down. And I think we, group of us, the five of us, we lined up just to put our name down. We put our name down. They're like, okay, come back in two hours. It's like two hours. Like, you know, I'm hungry now. Like I want to eat right now. This food better be worth it. And in the two hours, I think we walked from, we were on Canby somewhere, walked all the way downtown and around and all the way back. And I was pretty upset. Uh, with each step, my stomach growled even more. I was more getting more and more hungry. Uh, so I complained uh, a lot. And through that experience, and Jess, my wife, knows this uh, about the hangry thing. She keeps snacks in her purse, uh, you know, to keep me, uh, keep me at peace. Uh, but you know, she she uh, she's seen this part of me. And and one one day, she she's like. She's like, hey, let's talk about this. You know, I'm thankful for my wife uh, that, that digs a little bit deeper. It's like, oh, what's really going on there? Is it really about the food and you're hangry? I'm like, I'm just hungry. But, you know, in a sense of me questioning myself, like God revealed to me, like, why do I complain? You know, why do I complain even though I'm hungry? Why do I complain when I'm in the line and we've been in some long lines during this uh, pandemic? Uh, why, why am I so impatient when I'm calling in to uh, the cell phone company uh, trying to get through or to kind of post or to wait for my package. Like, why is it that I'm so impatient? And I think I've come to learn that uh, it's because I'm expecting to be served in those, in those instances. I'm expecting, I'm the customer, I'm expecting them to serve me. 
I'm expecting them to cater to me. I'm expecting them to, to do whatever it is uh, to break their back, bend over backwards uh, for me because I'm their customer. And, and, and that's the attitude that I've had uh, when I'm impatient, when I find myself grumbling. And here in the passage today, <laughs> excuse me, in Exodus 16, it's the greatest complaining fest ever in, in all of scripture. Uh, we see uh, the people of God uh, complaining. Uh, we see the people of God grumbling. Uh, we see the people of God uh, um, uh, complaining to God and grumbling to uh, their leaders. And if you go to the next slide there, and we, we see, well, why is it? Why is it that they, they've been complaining? In Exodus 15, 27, just before the passage uh, that's been read, uh, we, we see this, that the people of Israel were encamped in, in Elam and, and they, had, uh, um, they were uh, thirsty and God provided water for them. So they left Elam. It was 12, uh, and in Elam, there's 12 springs and 70 palm trees uh, and into the, dry, uh, into the dry desert. And they were in Elam for at least one month. That when they're in Elam, they were in paradise, right? They escaped the Red Seas, that God split the Red Seas and they're into the desert. They were thirsty and God provided them water there. And they were here in this place with 12 springs and 70 palm trees, lots of shade out of the desert, out of the heat, and they were set. They were getting comfortable. They were in a good place, and they didn't uh, want to leave. But as you go on to chapter 16, verse 1, we read on that God calls them out of this community. God calls them out of this oasis, uh, out of this place of comfort, uh, into, uh, into the desert. Uh, chapter 16, verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out for Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which has nothing to do with our English understanding of sin. It might be a duration of Sinai. Uh, so it's not the desert of you know, brokenness and sin. No, this is the name of the desert, uh, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So it's only been about a month since they've left Egypt, since God rescued them. Remember that story? I remember that scene, God rescued them from uh, splitting the Red Sea, the plagues that happened, that God rescued them out of that. It's only been one month and they were in this oasis, in this paradise, and God calls them uh, out of it. And we see this biggest complaining session ever from the people of Israel. And you would think that they would be a little bit more grateful. This is a little bit more grateful. Like, just a few chapters ahead, remember the plagues. Like God showed signs and wonders and miracles to the plague, uh, to plague a, a, a Pharaoh and, and the Egyptians to show his power. Uh, just a, a month before, it was the splitting of the Red Sea. God, by his divine hand, held back the, the uh, called the wind to come and held back the waters and, and allowed them safe passage through uh, the Red Sea, or also known as the Sea of Reeds, and, and allowed them passage through that land into safety just three days before this as i was reading uh, at the end of chapter 15 there uh, they were thirsty and god provided them water so they had a lot to be grateful for this is the same god that they were following that they saw all these miracles but yet they weren't grateful they were grumbling they were complaining about uh, who this god was and it makes me wonder what why is that like well, why are they uh, complaining? Well, why are they uh, wrestling with uh, what they're wrestling with? And it seems like uh, they were in a place that was lush, as a big, you know, there's palm trees and water and they were comfortable, but it, they were getting too comfortable. Uh, they were getting too comfortable and they're enjoying that place just a little bit too much. And it speaks into us, uh, into our lives that when we get too comfortable, God is trying to teach us something. 
maybe it's during this pandemic for you, maybe it's during COVID-19 when our life has been uprooted and we're, our, all our rhythms are different, uh, that God is trying to teach us, just like he's trying to teach the Israelites how to trust in him. That he's the same God that provided before, and he's the same God that's going to provide for you right now. But we learn here, we see this in the people of Israel, that when we're in a good place, for you and I too, that when we're in a good place, uh, we can start trusting in the provision instead of the provider. You put that next slide up there. That when you start trusting in, in the comfort, when you start being okay with where you are, you start being content with who you are and forgetting about who actually provided for you, that's a dangerous place to be in. And that leads to this kind of grumbling because we forget that, that God provides, that God is there uh, with us. When we're in this good place, we can start trusting in the provision, in the goodness of God and what God we receive from God instead of trusting in the provider in the one that made all things, that's in all things, that, that spoke and the universe came into being, the one that's with you right now, uh, instead of trusting in him, we trust in the things around us. So that's what God is doing, stripping that away, uh, stripping that away from, from the people of Israel. Uh, and, and we see this, like, wh why does God do this? Like, why does God lead his people out of a place? You know, I would have been the same thing, like, God, like, you know, let me stay in the 12 you know, springs and in the 70 palm trees. That sounds like a good resort to be at, you know, like I would love to stay at the resort and, and to be taken care of. Like, why does God call them out of this? And perhaps it's this, like God leads uh, his people uh, into places of need so that he can provide for our need. That God leads them into places of need so that he can provide for our need. That, that's what he's trying to show uh, the people of Israel. And he's leading them into this place of need so that he can show that truly I'm the provider. Don't just trust in the provision. Trust in me. Uh, believe in me. Know me because I'm the God that's going to be with you no matter what it is that you go through. So God leads his people into places of need uh, so that he can show and prove and, and to show the signs and wonders and provide miracles and to show them that he is that provider and that he can ultimately provide for uh, their need. But again, like, why do the people of Israel need to know this? And uh, I, you know, shared about my story before about you know, waiting at the restaurant and, and grumbling and complaining. And maybe you have your similar story too. Maybe it's for you, it's driving around the city. Uh, maybe for you, it's patient uh, and being impatient in lines or you know, waiting for things to be delivered to you, whatever it is. Uh, but there's a root cause to our complaining, as a, uh, just as there's a root cause to the people of Israel and their complaining. And, and Don Carson, uh, who is a New Testament theologian, really helps us, helps us out uh, with that. Uh, it goes on, he, he says this, you can put on that slide, why, why should people who have witnessed so spectacular display of grace and power of God slip so easily into muttering and complaining? The answer lies in the fact that many of them see God existing only to serve them. Wow, like, why, how is it possible that these people that have witnessed God do these amazing things in their life just three days before even, how can they be complaining and how can they be grumbling? And it comes from this understanding that maybe they actually just see the people of Israel just see God existing just to serve them. Just like me in the restaurant, me in that customer service, I'm the customer, you're just here to serve me. In the same way, maybe some of us here today just see God as he's just here to serve me, that he's here to do my bidding. And that when he doesn't do it, then I'm not going to follow him anymore. I'm going to grumble. I'm going to complain. And I'm not going to listen to what this God says. 
And it's interesting here in this passage that the people of Israel uh, are grumbling, but they direct their grumbling uh, towards uh, Moses. Uh, and, and Moses is saying, no, you're not grumbling against me. You're actually grumbling against God. You're not complaining against me and what I'm doing, but you're complaining about God because God is the one that's led us here. God is the one that's with you. God is the one that's bringing you through into this desert to teach you and to test you and to bring you into, uh, uh, into growth, an area of growth and understanding that you need him in order to feel and to be uh, provided for. In Exodus 16, uh, Verses two to three, we, we read of this grumbling. Uh, we, we read of how the people uh, grumble in the desert. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Uh, this is what grumbling looks like. Uh, a few points of, of grumbling, like, you know, the big idea is that God leads us into places of need so they can provide for this need. But the people don't understand this. They don't understand that God's trying to teach them a lesson here, that he is the, the provider. He is that good shepherd. We see here that, first of all, that, that grumbling, this complaining, it's contagious. Uh, we see here right in the very beginning is the whole community. There's something like two million of them. There in that congregation, in, in that group of people, it says here that the whole community uh, uh, is grumbling. That grumbling is contagious. And just a few weeks back, in in the beginning of this uh, 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 lockdown or this isolation for, for me, uh, it was pretty tough. Like a lot of adjustments, uh, you know, moving into virtual uh, services and changes at church, and also our family. Some of you know our, our apartment flooded, so we had to move out. Um, but there's a lot of changes all within a very short amount of time. And let's just say in those three weeks, I wasn't a very pleasant man to be around. Uh, there's a lot of grumbling, a lot of muttering underneath my breath, a lot of frustration, a lot of anger that was uh, built up. And Jess, uh, I'm, again, I'm thankful for my wife who was able to call me out on that and have these kind of conversations and said, told me it's hard to be around you right now when you're like this, uh, when you're grumbling and when you're complaining. And you're not actually complaining against the family as I was being convicted of, I was actually complaining about why God was leading us uh, and our family through this. But I saw firsthand how grumbling can be contagious, how grumbling complaining can, can ruin an entire church, how grumbling can, can ruin an entire life, that it, it just sets you off in an entirely uh, wrong direction every single day, that your days are ruined and that it leads you into this pessimistic uh, hole uh, that, that we're in. But we see here that, that grumbling is contagious, that it leads to uh, it passes on very quickly to the rest of the community. And, and also grumblers, like when you're complaining and grumbling, where you don't understand that God's trying to provide for you and lead, uh, lead you into a better place, uh, they think that grumblers think that it, it was better back in the day. Uh, grumbling causes us to skew the truth, right? Like what do we read here? That uh, it was in verse three that if we had only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Like, is that really true? Like they mentioned nothing about slavery. Like they were in captivity. Uh, they were captured and they ne mentioned never, they didn't mention anything about being whipped in the back and they're slave drivers and they were working out in, in, in the hot weather and, and, and being under control by this oppressive uh, regime. Uh, regime. They never said anything like that. Is remember, oh man, like it was so much better back then with the pots 
you know, of food. So grumbling causes us to skew and makes us to think uh, things were better. If, if you're ever wondering if you're grumbling or complaining, do you find yourself thinking it was better yesterday or better at X amount of time, uh, then maybe that would convict us. Grumbling also, as you see here, it, it turns you against each other. At the end of verse three, they blame uh, Moses uh, for this. But you, you know, we had pots of food to eat. Things were so much better when we were in slavery. Uh, but you brought us out here in the desert to starve us and to kill us. That Moses, uh, we just studied in the community learning just before this, like God's called him to bring the people of Israel out. And he's gone through hurdle after hurdle, faith step after faith step, that he doesn't need to do any of this, but he's being obedient to what God's calling him to do, not for selfish reasons, but to, to save the people, that God's using him as the instrument uh, to bring the people out of salvation. And the people come back and spit in his face and say, you just brought us out here uh, just to kill us. So we see this grumbling here turns you against each other. But ultimately, this is probably most important here. I would say this is most important, that grumbling reveals what's inside, that they don't understand that God is the provider, that God is trying to teach them a lesson. As Don Carson pointed out, that God is actually just there to serve him, uh, serve the people, that they're not there to serve God, but God is there to serve them. That this kind of grumbling, this complaining is revealing what's inside uh, of them. A quick little illustration is that if you're walking around, this is my mug and it's filled with coffee. If I'm walking around and you bump into me, what do you, and I spill drink, uh, my drink out of this coffee mug, what do you expect to come out of the coffee? Uh, well, I just gave the answer is coffee. <laughs> so what do you expect to come out of the mug is coffee, right? So in the same way, I, I believe when we're shaken up in life, imagine our lives are this coffee mug, when we're bumped up and things aren't going the way that we thought, what is spilling out of us? Right? Like, is, it, is it words of gratefulness and prayer and understanding? God, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm, I'm thankful. I'm grateful. I understand that you provide. Or, or do we complain? And, and do we miss the point altogether that the lesson uh, that God is trying to, to, to teach us? And we see here that ultimately in Exodus uh, verse eight, 16, verse 8, that, that Moses calls them out and, and says that you're not grumbling against me. Like, who are we? Like, you shouldn't complain to me because I'm, I'm nothing. It's God who's doing all of this. God's the one that's in control. You're not grumbling against us at the end of verse eight. You're grumbling uh, against uh, the Lord. So when we grumble, it reveals what's happening inside of our heart. It allows us to search a little bit deeper. And maybe that's relevant for you today during this pandemic, during COVID-19. What, what have you been finding yourself grumbling about? Uh, where, how have you been finding your heart? Uh, what do you find yourself, your heart seeking and desiring? And, and have you allowed God into that? Have you allowed God to speak to you in terms of those provisions? Because he is the provider. He is the God that can provide for us. And this is amazing because God hears our grumbling. Uh, God hears our complaining. God hears what it is that we need and what it is that we desire. Uh, God heard their grumbling. I believe it's mentioned at least four times in this text that Simon just uh, read for us. You, you hear uh, uh, we read of God hearing the people's grumbling four times in verses seven, verse eight, verse nine, and verse 11. The four times is mentioned here that God hears, that God heard their grumbling, that God's not a uh, deaf. Uh, he doesn't uh, turn an ear and an eye from you, that he hears uh, what it is that you're grumbling, complaining against, and he hears uh, your need. And what would you have done uh, if you have heard uh, this ungrateful people who, you know, God's like, 
hey guys, I just split the sea for you. Hey guys, there's a water that you couldn't drink and I just made that clean for you. Hey, you were in captivity for years and I freed you from all of that. How about a little bit great, more gratefulness here? Uh, how about a little bit more thankfulness? Like how would you have responded uh, to that? I, I know I would like to say I would be as gracious as God uh, in terms of offering uh, this kind of thankfulness and, and gratefulness for, for his people. Uh, but I see myself leaning the other way. Uh, it's kind of like this, right? Like we provide a meal for Cohen and he doesn't eat his vegetables. Like, what do I do? I don't, you know, I don't, you know, kind of soft talk. I'm like, eat your vegetables. Like, you know, eat your food, like eat the thing that provided for you. Be a little bit more, more grateful. And you kind of expect that from Israel towards God. Uh, but they're not like that. They, instead, they spit in, in God's face. But God's response, I want you to pay attention to this. Like, listen, like God's response to this is, is profound. It's amazing. It's, it's out of uh, this world. He hears their grumbling. Instead of wiping them off from the face of the earth, which he had the uh, power to do, he goes the other way instead. God, in verses 9 to 12, he shows them his glory. He shows them his great plan. Like, this is what I'm going to do for you. I know you're hungry. Uh, so I, instead of, uh, even though you're complaining and you don't deserve any of this, I'm going to provide quail for you uh, in the evening. And in the morning, every morning, I'm going to provide manna for you. I'll provide this thin, this thin bread-like uh, um, crust uh, uh, for you every single morning that you need to go and collect and to feed yourself. And I'm going to provide for you. Even though you're spitting in my face, I'm going to serve you still. Uh, even though you don't understand me, I'm still going to provide for you. I'm still going to love you because that's the God that we, we follow. And it's amazing here in verse 10, we read, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. That in the whole time they were grumbling and complaining, God's glory was there. All they needed to do was stop looking within and down on the ground and complaining was to look up and to see the cloud of glory and see God's presence there. Hey guys, even though you're in your darkest place, even though you feel like you don't have what you need, I am there with you. I'm, I'm still there beside you. I'm still there leading you into the next place. And this is profound for me that in times of grumbling, in times of complaining, and maybe you have been there as well, that God is still gracious. That even in the grumbling, God graciously provides. Even in this grumbling, even in this time, they don't deserve any of this. God doesn't get angry. God doesn't get upset. In fact, the only person that gets angry here is Moses. Uh, God doesn't get angry. God doesn't get, uh, that doesn't wipe them off, but God provides for them, even in their grumbling, even in your grumbling. God is so good. God is so gracious. He still provides for you. And he says this in Exodus 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, What would I do for you? I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. In other words, on the seventh day, they're to, uh, they're to rest. So on the sixth day, gather twice as much as you need. So on the Sabbath, you can rest and just enjoy. And instead of raining down plagues like he did with Egypt, God rains down bread uh, to his people. Let's get a glimpse of that. Get an understanding of that. Instead of raining down plagues, which they also deserve here, God rains down bread and he covers them. 
He covers them with quail and covers them with, with bread. And why is he doing this? It's because he's testing his people. Like God tests his people so that he can build their trust. That's what God is doing here. He's testing them. He's building up their trust so that not only to endure during this time, but for even harder things in the future, that they will remember that God has provided for them, that God is with them, that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that no matter what it is that you're going through at this moment, God is there with you, providing for you, not turning a blind eye, but turning in towards his people and providing for them. God was so good as you, you read on that uh, in, in verse 13, that the, in the evening, uh, the quail came and they covered the camp. Uh, for us, uh, Asian, you know, if you ever had that Asian delicacy, you know, quail, uh, fried quail, like they cover the camping quail so much and just buried them. That sounds pretty good to me. That sounds like a pretty good day. All you can eat quail uh, on that night. God just covers them uh, with his grace and covers them over with this meat so that they can hold them off until the next morning, uh, until the manna comes. Because he says, you know what, I'm going to provide quail. And they were used to quail. There's quail in the desert there, but they weren't used to this kind of manna. Um, God's like, I'm going to provide you this quail. I'm going to cover you for now uh, because I'm baking bread in heaven and I'm going to provide you something so amazing, so delicious, something that you've never had before that you're going to say, what is this? Which is what the word manna is. That God, in this time of, of need, in this time where you feel like you're at the end of your ropes, God provides something miraculous, something so good, something the world has never seen before. And that is our God. Instead of providing, uh, raining down plagues and raining down hardship and pain, he gives you the best. He provides something new for you every single day. But the people of God, they were not expecting this, right? They're saying, God, I'm hungry. I need something to eat. But they weren't expecting manna. Uh, they're saying, what is this? Like, I don't understand what this is. They were wanting Egyptian food. Uh, they were wanting Egyptian cuisine. They were wanting those pots of meat that they thought they had. They were wanting whatever else uh, they were once having and stuck in. They thought that this is what it means to be fed. They had an image, uh, had an understanding of what it means to, to meet their need. But God's like, I'm way better than that. I'll provide you any, something better than anything this world can ever offer. I'll give you something that only I can make, only I can provide. And only that's specifically catered to you. Because that's how gracious and amazing I am. I've led you into the desert not to kill you, but I've led you into the desert to give you life. I led you into this place of need so that I can provide for your need to show you that I am with you, that I love you, that I have never uh, left you. And I love how the psalmist says in Psalm 78, who recounts this scene. In Psalm 78, verses 22 to 25, I read, this, for they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. That's talking about the Israelites. In verse 23, yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. And he rained down manna for the people to eat. And he gave them the grain of heaven. And catch this, guys, verse 25. Human beings ate the bread of angels. And he sent them all the food that they could eat. Man, guys, it's in this time of need, it's in this time where you feel like you're in a desert place, when you feel like you're up against the wall, that God provides this miracle and not just any kind of meal, but the best, the food that angels eat. 
That's the way that the psalmist describes it. This fruit that will satisfy you forever. This fruit that nothing else can ever compare to. And what's more miraculous here than the quail and even the manna is that it is the grace and the love of God. That's the miracle here. That instead of getting something we deserve, God goes the opposite way and gives us something we do not deserve. And that's grace and that's love. And that's the God that we come to follow. And I can't often, I, I think about this when I was reading this passage. It's like, well, during this test, like, what do you think would have happened if the Israelites didn't pass this test? Or if the Israelites did pass this test, do you think they, they would have received something else? You know, uh, they would have rained down stakes from heaven. I don't know. Like, you know, it, it's kind of thinking like, you know, like if they passed this test, would God have rained down something better? Like, would God have rained down stakes and you know, prime rib and I'm getting hungry. I'm just naming off food I want. Uh, so in some sense, you know, would he have rained down something else? I don't think so. Like, even though they didn't pass the test, even though they didn't listen, God still gave them the best. That God still performed this miracle that had nothing to do with them. God still made and performed this miracle and provided them with manna. And I love this about this passage that this manna, it's enough for every day. We go back to the verse in, in, in verse four, that the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. That this manna wasn't meant for the future, but it was meant for that day. That God can provide for you uh, in that day. That his grace is new every morning. That his mercy is new every morning. As Lamentations 3, 22 to 23 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That here, God is teaching them a lesson, teaching them how to trust, teaching them what it means to follow God. That during this time, they're saying that, seeing that God can provide for them. That God's grace and God's mercy is enough for that day. And some of you might be thinking, I can't make it through this day, but God is saying, I can provide and I will bring you through this day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about what's going to happen down six months down the road. But for today, I can provide for you. For today, I am enough for you. There is enough food for you today because that is how gracious I am. That, that is how I planned it. So during this time of COVID-19 or during this time of your life right now, what are you feeling like God can't provide, that God can't do, that God can't feed into your soul? Like what is your version of Egyptian food? Maybe you're thinking, I need this kind of food. I can only be provided and sustained in this way. That is my version of Egyptian food. But God's saying, I'm going to rain down manna. And whether you collect it or not, it's going to be there for you. And it's going to be enough for you. But are you willing to go out and to collect it and to taste and see that the Lord is good? And ultimately, all of this points towards Jesus in the New Testament. We read in John chapter 6, 32 to 35, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then it points to heaven, uh, points us towards heaven, understanding that Jesus is the bread of life, that rain down from heaven, that he is enough for you and for me. 
And during this time, whatever it is that you're searching for, I urge you to look to God as the provider. That miracles are meant to point us towards God. And what is this miracle pointing you towards? In what ways have you been looking to other things of this world to provide for you when only God can provide? God is saying, I am the bread of life. You know, if you follow me, you'll never be hungry. If you follow me, you'll never be thirsty. Have you been living that out? Or have we been forgetting that during this time? And I hope that during right now in this passage that you'll be reminded that God is with you, that no matter how many times you've messed up, how many times you've failed, God still gives you the best. He gives you the bread that he bakes himself with God's own hands. He gives to you when we least deserve it. And I'm not sure about you, but that hits home for me because I know the ways that I've fallen. I know the ways that I've failed. I know the ways that I've walked away from God, but God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And the call for us this morning is the same. Will you go out and eat from my word, from my, from my bread, and understand me because only I can satisfy, only I can provide for you. Or you can go out and keep trying to find your own bread, but ultimately it's going to leave you hungry. It's going to leave you wanting more. So God's calling you back this morning and saying, come back, son, come back, child. I'm going to be performing this miracle in your life. Already I've been performing every single day that the grace I've given you is enough for today. But have you leaned into that? Have you pressed into that? Or are you looking elsewhere? Let's pray. Father, this morning we again come back to you and we thank you, Lord, for your provision. That, Lord, you're such a good father that you don't lead us into the desert to leave us there and to die, but you lead us into places of need so that you can show and prove to us that you are the great provider. So, Father, whoever it is that's listening in now, wherever they are, whatever needs we have this morning, Father, we go onto our knees and we say we need you. And we say that, God, only you can provide for us. So, Father, may you feed your people. May you provide manna, something that's out of this world, something that the world has never seen before, something that's specifically made for each and every single one of us so that we can't deny that it's a miracle, that we can't deny that it's you who has provided for us. Father, may you lead your people and may you feed your people in only the way that you can. And thank you for your grace and thank you for your love. Even though we don't deserve it, God, you went over and above and gave us yourself, your son, Jesus Christ, to show how much you love us. And may that be renewed in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.